over the last several weeks, if you're a visitor here, over the last several weeks, uh, people in this congregation have given us questions, and today we have about 13 questions uh, that we're going to respond to, and uh, hopefully in the amount of time that we have. I don't have a watch on, so, but luckily my iPad has a clock, don't worry. Um, and so some of the questions, you know, aren't, um, there's not a biblical response to them, if you will. I mean, some of the questions are uh, more opinionated questions. And so the interesting thing about Pastor John and myself are uh, we kind of land on opposite ends of the spectrum. And so we do complement each other very well. And many of his strengths are my weaknesses and many of my weaknesses, no, many of my strengths, I don't want to have weaknesses twice. Many of my <laughs> strengths uh, are his weaknesses. And so sometimes when we, you know, you know, as we have not discussed these questions, and so we don't really know what the other person is going to answer, and so it could get fun, but uh, you said, we'll you, just... You said you'd be gentle if yeah, I... Yeah, if I, I, uh, I said I won't ever say wrong. Um, but, <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> but uh, there are some of the questions that we feel have a biblical foundation, and obviously you've asked some questions that, that deal in that area as well, so that's what we're going to do. Um, we've called this just simply question and answers. And so we put the questions up on the screen so you can follow along. Um, some of the scriptures that we will reference, the references will be up there if you want to write those down. Maybe if this was your question specifically, um, not all of them we're going to read. We're just going to reference them. So you'd have to, to study and, and go back over those. And so with no further ado, let's get started. Question number one, did you meet your wife at Trinity? What, what it, or was it love at first sight? I'll start with that. Um, yes, I met my wife at Trinity, Heather. Um, she, I have a wife, Elijah. Our wife, Heather, son, Elijah. <laughs> Ten steps backwards. Wrong. Okay, Oops, wrong. Sorry. I have a wife. Her name's Heather. We just moved here about a year and a half ago. Uh, I have a son. His name's Elijah. And we have actually a baby on the way. So um, we're... I guess we're building our family, and it's awesome. Um, was it love at first sight? Um, you know, I was, you know, I, I'm not super huge on was it love at first sight. I don't know if love at first sight really exists, but if the question was, you know, were you confident, you know, about this one, that you're probably going to marry her, I was, I was overly confident. Uh, just as I, you know, as I got to know her, we went on dates, and it seems like everything that she liked to do, I liked to do. And, you know, the, the beauty was just the, the cherry on top. So it was, it was good. Yeah. Well, and interestingly, I also met my wife at Trinity. I don't believe in love at first sight. I believe in infatuation at first sight. But love, I think, takes time to grow. And love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. It's a decision. And, um, you know, I was actually, when I first met Christy, I was dating someone else. And she was in a circle of friends that I hung out with all of the time. Um, the other person I was dating just realized, you know, it, it's not, um, this is not someone that's going to be a potential spouse for me. And so I ended that. Um, and then Christy and I actually became closer friends. We were talking, we would talk on the phone, um, we would share things with each other. And uh, we actually did that for about a month before we officially went out on a date. And so once we started dating, I uh, really felt like this was someone I could spend uh, the rest of my life with. And so during that summer, uh, I flew to Colorado where she was living at the time and uh, asked her to marry me. And then we were engaged for a year. 
which I don't recommend. That's just a long time uh, to go through an engagement. And so we were engaged for a year and then married uh, the following summer. Not because that's uh, terrible, but the, the planning of a wedding, it, you know, when you stretch it out over a year, it just becomes so uh, heavy. Not for the guy, but for the girl. And so, because the guy's like, I, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Uh, we're going to have what color? Okay, great. We're going to do what? Okay, great. Um, so, there you go. Uh, our second question was, uh, excuse me, that's not our second question. Second question is, what is the best part of your job and what is the worst part? Um, interesting question. Um, for me, the best part of my job is helping people encounter God, whether that be God the Father uh, some people have never known the love of the Father of God, um, and they've grown up without that. They've grown up with abandonment issues, and so watching people encounter that, watching people encounter the grace of Jesus, um, maybe growing up in a legalistic climate, never fully understanding grace, that's uh, something I like, and then watching people encounter the Holy Spirit. Um, a lot of people grow up in a church where the Holy Spirit is never even talked about, and uh, he's such a vital part of our lives as believers in the New Testament, and um, so watching people encounter that or helping people work through that and process that, uh, preaching and teaching is probably another part of the job that I love. Uh, I love to study the word. I love to get into the background of the word. I don't share uh, in my sermons a lot of the, the context or the, the, the culture behind everything, but you have to study it in order to accurately portray it. We are limited in the amount of time I can take, uh, even though sometimes I stretch that, but um, I'd study that and then have to decide what I want to share with you or not share with you. And so the worst part of my job would have to be just the misunderstandings that I watch take place in the body of Christ, whether that's between me and someone or other people, uh, the, the hurt feelings, the sometimes people leaving uh, a church, that's a difficult thing to process, uh, or the inability to help people that are in need. Uh, when people come and they need something, they, and uh, I just, I don't have what they need. Um, or sometimes you, you help someone, but they make bad choices, and their life just kind of spirals, and you just stand there and watch, knowing there's really nothing uh, you can do. That's probably the worst part. The best and worst part of my job? Uh, the best part is uh, I absolutely love people. I, I love different relationships. I love taking the time to uh, get to know you guys uh, individually. We've had numerous, uh, numerous people over, and, and you guys have had us over as well. Just, it's, it's incredible that, um, that this is my job. Uh, uh, just getting to know people, loving people, it's, it's amazing. You know, another thing, uh, very practical too, is, is you know, I, <laughs> it's almost kind of humorous, but I get paid to study the Bible. And if the greatest thing that we can do as believers is to study his word and to know it and encounter him through the word, you know, uh, I have the, be the best job on the planet. You know, I, uh, I get paid to know Christ through the Bible. Love it. Um, you know, what I've also loved, just some more practical things about what I do, you know, video announcements, it seems like I, I get to know so many of you guys helping out with doing, and, you know, sometimes we put up blooper reels, and it's just, it's cool to see personalities, see people thrive in what they're good at. Some people struggle through it but they still get through it. And it's, it's cool just to, just to see different venues like that. I'm also part of the uh, Huron uh, soccer team. At some of the guys, a lot of the guys in our church actually play on, and it's a great way uh, for us to, to get involved into the community on a, just on a, you know, 
they all know where we're from because we're pretty much the only white guys on the, on the field, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm half. <laughs> I didn't want to say wrong, but... <laughs> Sorry, I'm half. My mom's from Mexico, my dad's from Oregon, so... But, uh, so soccer's been great. I also work with a, a group of youth pastors, um, not just, uh, doesn't really matter the de- denomination. We work with uh, just all, com- like, across Huron, completely, not, it's interdenominational. And so uh, we put on an event called Journey, and it's an event for teenagers. It was birthed out of uh, just getting together and talking about needs for this community. And it's a, an event where teenagers get to come and encounter God through worship. That's student-led worship team with um, a gospel presentation later on in the service. And so it's, it's a great way for non-church people to get plugged in and see that, you know, the Assemblies of God can hang out with the Baptists and the Baptists can hang out with the Lutherans. And, and it can go all the way around and it's, it's not, we don't have to... We don't have to sit there and, and debate doctrine. We sit there and we talk about, we, we highlight the cross. We say it's all about Jesus. And so we've, we've seen people raise their hand for salvation at that event, and it's, it's incredible. And so um, the worst part of my job would be um, the way my mind works is very like, I'm very visionary. I'm like three years down the road, but I, have, I, I don't take steps to plan it out. <laughs> you know, I'm like, let's, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And, you know, Pastor Tom, like he said, he's like kind of my, he pulls me back in. He says, okay, you know, this is his strength. It's planning it out, getting the details down. So for him, uh, for him and me, it's, you know, I cast it out there and he says, okay, well, how can we, how can we make that happen practically? And some of them, some ideas are thrown out the window and some ideas, you know, they thrive. And so, um, so my weakness, my, what's the worst part of my job, um, it's, it's, it's kind of the, what the best part of my job is as the same thing. It's, it's learning to be detailed, learning to be organized, learning to be a good communicator, because I'm naturally not. I'm terrified of just speaking in public, but, you know, he's made strong our weaknesses, so that's why I'm doing it. I love God, and so th- that's kind of, I, you know, I sat here and I thought, what is the worst part of my job? I love this job, so I don't, I don't really know, but it is, it's, I think it's just the structure, me forcing myself to be structured. That's, that's what's difficult. Mm. Our next question was, what books have you read lately that you would encourage us to read? And uh, that's a tough question for me because I actually like to read sometimes several books at one time. Um, but, uh, you know, they said lately, and so that was tough. But I will just say uh, on our bookshelf back there are some core books that I've just, that have really been kind of foundational in my life. One specifically is Relentless Passion by Pastor Jeff Mann, which is a great book about just the Christian life and what it should look like, and anything written by John Bevere. Uh, the Bait of Satan, Honor's Reward, A Heart Ablaze, those are great books um, to, to read. But the ones that I've read lately, uh, I put up on the screen for you. One I'm reading called Addicted to Busy by Brady Boyd which is just about our culture and how we are constantly on the go and why that's not a good thing. And uh, he actually admits in the introduction that he's going to write this book, but he probably fails at it more than those of us that are going to read it. And so this is just a a pandemic in our culture. The other one is called Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk, um, talking about relationships in the body of Christ, how to be connected with people in the body of Christ, how to deal with conflict in the body of Christ in a biblical manner, and to stay connected as you walk through that, and uh, talking about boundaries 
in our life and uh, how many times we want to give people access to our lives that really isn't a good idea. And uh, so he walks through that. And then the book Sifted by Wayne Cordero, um, dealing with how to process difficult things in our lives. Uh, when things don't go the way you've planned them to go and uh, how to, to deal with that. I've been reading a couple books. I'm not, I read, this year I've I made a New Year's resolution that I'll read a book a month. And uh, I'm, I'm a few books into it, but I'm still struggling through getting it read every single month. Um, but a couple books that I, I do recommend, one that um, I've been reading is called The Art of Neighboring. And this is like very, um, I guess it, it comes from the idea of Jesus saying, you know, uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what, what uh, the author, his name is uh, Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. These guys, they're just saying, what if as a church body, church movement, we actually took that literally? And, and it's just going into your community, seeing, uh, seeing the harvest right where, you're, right where you're at. And I think God strategically has us living where we're living in Huron so that we do build relationship with those around us. Um, you know, it's ironic, Heather and I went to school for our intercultural studies degree, and all that that means is just missions and, and different cultures and, and understanding how to communicate, not, not just language-wise, but how are things perceived, how are things, you know, taken back. It's kind of, you, you do a lot of thinking, but culture is huge, and Heather and I, we're, we're smack dab uh, right in the middle of so many cultures around us. I mean, we have Koreans and we have Latinos and we have, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable um, that God is actually using our degree where we're planted. And, and uh, just, just recently, I was out mowing the lawn and one of the Korean guys came out and I, he, I mean, he knows the, the least amount of English as you can, but we're, we're finding ways um, to talk about the cross. How can we, how can we, you know, and we're doing the motion things. And I said, you know, you, me, come together and let's eat. And he's like, that'd be great, you know. But it's cool that, you know, that, that relationships, that, you know, if we took that, that seriously, you know, love our neighbors, um, that's one of the greatest commands um, next to loving God. And so that was one of the books, just practical, uh, how, to, how to see the neighbors, see your neighbors, know them by their first names and um, the next one is a more theological push. Is uh, it's by Heath Adamson. It's called "The Bush Always Burns," and the idea is the story uh, is pulled from where Moses encounters God through the the burning bush, and Moses, you know, lived out in the desert for years, but he never realized that that bush was on fire. Maybe it had been burning for years. Maybe it would was burning just for a moment. But regardless, Moses got to encounter God. In, a, in one of the most driest parts of his life. And so that book really, it's, it's encouraging for me as I'm reading it, just seeing God more intentionally. Sometimes we're like always trying to get to that second place. You know, we're trying to get to like, how, how can I arrive? You know, I'm gonna get a bigger car, bigger house, or I'm gonna get a job promotion, or I'm gonna get married. We're always trying to arrive, but God's just saying, encounter me right now. And this book kind of just deals with some of that. So that's uh, The Bush Always Burns by Heath Adamson. He's the Assemblies of God Youth Director over the United States. The next question, is ballroom dancing wrong? Doesn't the Bible encourage dancing? Where can we learn how? <laughs> Thank we, you. Should we Thank demonstrate? you very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's... All right, is ballroom dancing wrong? Well, 
the, the issue, okay, and again, opinions, you know, is there really uh, theological, you know, explanations to the Bible? It doesn't say, you know, the immoral, the unjust, the liars, the ballroom dancers the, <laughs> are going to burn in hell. It doesn't say that, but we, we kind of got to unpeel back some layers. I think really almost a key question here is, does the Bible encourage dancing? Uh, I don't think it does encourage dancing, but I also don't think it, it um, disencourages or says, you know, if you do it, you're, you know, you're, you're in sin. I don't think that's what the Bible's saying. The often passage that we come to is where David is coming back with the Ark of the Covenant, right? And he's dancing before the Lord and he's saying, woo, God's awesome. You know, we, you know, you gave us victory over the Philistines. You've given us victory and now we have, you know, and, and so David, I mean, he is absolutely sold out in his, I mean, he has no pride. He has no, he's not keeping face. He is all out joyful before the Lord. And sometimes teenagers or young people or single people will come up and they'll say, hey, I want to go to this dance and, you know, I want to go hang out with them because, you know, David danced before the Lord. <laughs> you know, that's not what, that, that's not a, a good explanation of this passage. Uh, I believe, you know, the, even in the Israel, when the Israelites, when Moses was coming down from the mountain and he had the two Ten Commandments, it says that um, Joshua, who was with him, heard a noise and he said, what's, what's all that noise? He asked Moses and Moses realized that it was them. He saw the altar and they were dancing before the altar and it, and it, it just threw him into a rage. Remember the cracking of the tablets and all of that. And so is that dancing wrong for this dancing? And just a month ago, um, some, some of the girls in this community had a dance, um, and, and it was something they had been practicing for, you know, for all year. And is it sin? Is it wrong? I don't think dancing in and of itself is sinful. I think two issues really that, as I was thinking about it and talking about it, is really, um, it's, it's hard to say, you know, this kind of even goes back, you know, just think a hundred years ago. Was, uh, was, was going to the movies sinful? You know, well, uh, uh, Everyone back then in the church, prominent, um, really uh, conservative people would say, yeah, that was sinful. And some people might even still say today that it's sinful. Um, or cards. You play cards, you play Uno, you play Monopoly, you're in sin. You're living in sin and you're an enemy of the Lord. Um, it's hard to say that, yes, because this one thing, I mean, this is, this is sin. Part of it is you have two things. Is it's, it's motive, like what's your motive for doing it, and also your convictions. You know, the Bible says don't sin against your convictions. If you're doing something, um, you know, if say you were raised your whole life and your parents told you, you know, hey, if you play, if you play this card game or something and, and just deep down you've always felt like, man, I shouldn't play this game. And you go out and you, once you're out of the house and you're, you're free to do whatever you want and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start playing cards. And, and you, have that, you have that, I mean, it's not, like, it's not like something you've always been doing. It's something that you've never done and now you have to wrestle with convictions. And see, our culture, what it says is, it's okay, just tolerate it, just tolerate it, just tolerate it. And so I'm not saying, you know, ballroom dancing is sin, but I am saying, what, are, what do convictions tell you? What is the motive? You know, would, would you be comfortable seeing your spouse, you know, dance with another, uh, another married person? Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit like playing with fire. You have to be careful in how you do it. You know, and every, you know, there's, there's people that say, you know, I can do it pure motives. I don't have any of that problem. And that might be the issue. It really might be. And again, I would say, 
You know, ask God. Everything that we're doing needs to be in line with God. I mean, if God, God says, you know, to go after him in all that we do, and I understand relaxation and all that, but um, motive and conviction. Why are you doing it? Why are you there? And, and then conviction is just, you know, don't, the spirit is real. And it's not just your, it's not just, um, your um, Jiminy Cricket, conscience. There you go. It's not just your conscience. The spirit, if the, if the spirit's living inside of you, it's real. And so listen to it. I think it's interesting that uh, you said 100 years ago it was a sin to go to movies. Well, you know what I mean. Think, think about that statement for a minute. Hey, 100 years ago, 100 years ago, exist. there might not have been movies. But anyway. We don't know that. We were born in the 90s. So Ooh. I'm, I really restrained from laughing. Because um, 20 years ago, it was a sin to not go to movies. That's true. Sorry. Or 30. Um, I'm sorry, I apologize. We put the scriptures up on the screen that the Bible refers to dancing. And Exodus 15, uh, not the one where they were dancing uh, when Moses smashed the Ten Commandments. That's found in Exodus 21, I believe it is. Um, Exodus 15, 20 is Miriam leading the ladies to dance before the Lord in celebration of the victory that he gave them. Second Samuel 6 is David dancing before the Lord because the Ark of the Covenant. Um, again, the, the concept of before the Lord. And so it's not, they were not dancing, they were dancing as an act of worship, not in any other way. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, uh, again, another quoted one, especially if you're a fan of the movie Footloose, um, there is a time to dance. Um, that's all it says. And so we don't know what that refers to. But we have to also keep in mind Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, who had hundreds of wives and concubines, and that wasn't a good idea either. So uh, we have to take that in context. Uh, just adding to uh, what Pastor John said, I would say two cautions. Because again, the Bible does not say, you know, dancing with your spouse mm -hmm. at a wedding, dancing with the, your spouse, uh, ballroom dancing is a sin. And so I'm not going to declare it's a sin. But I'll, I'll say this, uh, atmosphere is one thing. Uh, what's the atmosphere of the place where you're dancing? Uh, are most people around you getting hammered, getting drunk? Uh, is the atmosphere glorifying to the Lord? And so that, take that into consideration. Uh, and the other part of it is the sexual aspect of it. You know, if you are married and you are dancing with someone other than your spouse or someone else's spouse, um, are you giving the enemy any opportunity to have a mm -hmm. foothold? And so we want to be careful. And if you're not married and you're dancing with that person, um, you know, don't, we don't want to give the enemy a foothold. So I would just caution uh, atmosphere, and then just be aware of the temptation the, that exists. And so, without trying to sound like the pastor from Footloose, uh, that's the advice I would give you. Uh, next question asks, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit, and what is the unpardonable sin? And explain that. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 actually teaches us Paul says here, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And he puts this in the middle of a list of behaviors that we should not exhibit. And so it gives us the sense that anything contrary to the character of the spirit grieves him. Um, you know, when we lust, that grieves the spirit. When we fight with other believers, that grieves the spirit. When we gossip, when we are bitter, when we are angry, when we're, there's resentment, these are the types of things Paul's listing here in Ephesians chapter four. So when we're displaying those things, we are grieving the Holy Spirit because we're living contrary to his nature. In Acts seven, verse 51, Stephen, talking to the, the Sanhedrin at the time, says, you, you've grieved the Holy Spirit, you resist the Holy Spirit. 
Um, don't resist him. In other words, if the Holy Spirit asks you to do something or prompts you to do something and we ignore that, that grieves him. Just the same way that you would be grieved if you ask your spouse, hey, would you take out the garbage and they ignore you? Or could you do this for me and they ignore that? You'd be grieved by it. Now, you wouldn't be grieved to the point that you're moving out, but what happens if we get grieved over and over and over again? Our hearts become hardened. And in a, in, in a sense, the more that we grieve the Holy Spirit, the more that we ignore his voice, the more that we act contrary to his nature, the, the less he's going to talk or he, you're going to hear. We begin to harden our hearts to him. And so we can get to the point where we no longer even hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 is where Jesus talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And that word blaspheme the Holy Spirit means to treat with disrespect, whether in word or in action. To treat with disrespect in word or in action. So as we continually grieve or reject the work of the Holy Spirit... That leads us to what we call the unpardonable sin. And the reason being, the Holy Spirit is the only way we can be drawn to salvation. And if we harden our hearts to the point that we no longer hear his voice, there's no hope of salvation. Now, we, there are many times people come and say, I feel like I've committed the unpardonable sin. Well, the fact that you actually care about whether or not you've committed the unpardonable sin shows that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Okay, the enemy will love to come to you and tell you, you've committed the unpardonable sin, you've grieved the Holy Spirit. But the fact that there's a desire there to please God and honor God and to be drawn to God shows that the Holy Spirit's operating in your life. So there's a line that we obviously can cross of grieving the Holy Spirit. Uh, my suggestion is when you realize that you've grieved him or you've done something wrong, repent. Holy Spirit, I've ignored your voice. I'm sorry, help me not to do that in the future. I, be honest with the Holy Spirit. Don't just ignore it or push it away, but uh, don't walk in continual grieving of Him. Yeah, you know, I'm thankful for second chances because, you know, growing up, I lived, I lived, and I was, I lived in the church, and I did all the right things, you know, in the Bible quiz, and, and, you know, it just seemed like youth group and Sunday school, and I was at the altars, you know, I was weeping, you know, and, and all those things were, were happening, but all, all in the midst, I was deep into addictions and, and just lawlessness, absolute sin, and so I'm thankful that God, uh, you know, the, the purpose of the Spirit, he kind of mentioned it, was, you know, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's, it's to convince the lost, the, the lost person um, of those things, of realizing, wow, what this person is saying about Jesus, the only way to, the, to God, um, that's the Spirit's job is to convince the lost person of that. And so in Isaiah uh, 63, Isaiah is talking about how amazing God has been to the Israelites, how um, slow to anger, compassionate he's been towards them. And, and, and what he says in verse 10, Isaiah 63 verse 10, it says that, it says, you know, God was totally faithful, totally awesome to them, but it says, and then they rebelled. And then the next statement was, and they grieved the Holy Spirit. You know, I think that, I think that rebellion and, and grieving the Spirit are so closely tied together. You know, the unpardonable sin, as the Bible mentions. You know, uh, you look at the Israelites, the pattern of their life, um, and constantly Jesus, or the Father, 
constantly reached out to them, constantly said, you know, I, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you a second chance. And they're in, I mean, they're absolutely defiling the law of God. They're, they're ignorant. They, they're saying, I don't want it. I just, I want to do my own thing. And so it's not just, I, I guess I shouldn't say ignorant. It's, it's that they're absolutely defiant. They're saying, I don't want you, God. You know, I know your laws. I, it's just, and it's like us. We know his word. And we're, I mean, we're indoctrinated into it since we were kids. Everyone on the street, you talk to them, the, the vast majority can tell you something about Jesus in, in here on South Dakota. But the, the thing is for us is that we, we're so slow in obeying him. We're so slow in, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. So we hear it, like we come on Sunday mornings and we get excited. I know I did when I was a kid. Uh, we come and we get excited. Yeah, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. But I still want to have a hand on control. And, and I still want to have a control, you know, the hand on, uh, you know, I, d- I don't want to be committed to this quite yet. And so you, it's, we do this. And so, you know, they rebelled and they, they grieved his Holy Spirit. You know, Paul said that he blasphemed the name of Jesus. But yet he said, but God was gracious to me because I was ignorant. See, I God's going to deal with all sin, period. But there's something about defiant rebellion that just throws him off. He says, uh, I, I give grace to those who are humble, but I will resist those who, who are proud. Those who say, you know what, I know, what the, I know the way, I know, yep, Jesus, yeah, he came and died on the cross, right, for my sins, right? Yeah, well, I don't really care about that. You know, uh, he, there's something about rebellion that just pride in, in our lives. So I think... As, as Pastor Tom has already mentioned, you know, the unpardonable sin is, is ultimately just rebellion. It's dying in rebellion of God, saying, I don't want you. I know what I should be doing, but I don't want it. And so, repent. I mean, when I'm in sin, and, you know, it's not, I mean, how many days can you go without sinning once? I mean, even the thought of pride, even the thought of, of anything that, that's for you and not for God or for your spouse is sinful. And so, you, we have to repent. We have to say, Lord, please, you know I've messed up. I don't have to keep hiding. Um, there's no longer any condemnation in those who are in Christ. And so we, he's our advocate. He pleads our case before the Father constantly if we're, we're, we're trying to obey him. But it's, it's the rebellion. It's the pride that he, he says, uh, you better be careful. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's hard for us in just two or three minutes to answer these questions, but we're trying to do the best we can. Um, so the rejection of the Holy Spirit, I don't know that it's necessarily just that one-time act as much as it's a process of getting to the point where you're, you're just rebelling. You're, I don't want anything to do with you. And when you get to that point, um, there's no other hope of salvation. He's the one that draws us to Jesus. Yeah. And so um, that's in essence. The next question asks, what is the difference between tithes and offerings and how is each used? Well, both of those are introduced to us in the Old Testament, and the most common place is Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And we're taught in Leviticus about the tithe and giving that tenth of everything you get increased, whether it's a crop, whether it's money, whether it's whatever your labor was, a tenth of it you brought to the Lord, you brought to the Levites. And it was used to care for the needs of the Levites, It was used to care for the needs of widows and the wanderers or the homeless, if you will, in the society. And that's what the tithe was used for. In Numbers, it tells the the Levites to take a tithe of the tithe and present it to the Lord. 
So they're receiving a tithe from all of the, the people of Israel. They're to take a tenth of that, and that's their tithe to give unto the Lord. And so that's, in essence, what we're taught. And then in Deuteronomy, it outlines how that tithe is supposed to be used. In the New Testament, Matthew 23, uh, Jesus talks about the tithe and the motivation of tithing. And I don't know that he abolishes tithing in the New Testament. In fact, if anything, giving in the New Testament is almost stepped up a notch where we're to be more, more generous than we were uh, in the Old Testament because of what we've been given, because of now what we know. And so I think that the, the New Testament actually calls for a higher level of that. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul teaches that those who preach and teach, those who work in the body of Christ, should receive a living from it. The same way that a tithe provided for the Levites in the Old Testament because that was, they didn't have land. They didn't have an allotment. All they did was work at the temple. Their only source of income was the tithe. Uh, Paul seems to be saying that same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Those who do this in the church should be able to make a living from it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, again, Paul, that same type of concept. Now, the term offering was above and beyond the tithe. We're introduced to it in Exodus chapter 35 and, verse, and chapter 36, where they needed stuff to make the temple. And so they asked for the things they needed to make the temple. And in fact, in, and in Exodus chapter 36, they have to tell the people to stop bringing offerings. Stop. You've brought too much. We have too much now. And so offerings are that thing that's above and beyond. Paul references it in the New Testament. Uh, many of the churches gave him offerings, not tithe, but offerings for his ministry. They gave offerings for the church in Jerusalem, for the poor. Uh, Paul says it over and over again, set aside these offerings. In our church, we take a missions offering above the tithe. We take a, a, an associate pastor offering to help us bring associate pastors on staff above the tithe. The tithe covers our general operating expenses. It pays for our staff. It pays for the utilities. I mean, I know it's, it's not real, um, it doesn't seem real spiritual to pay the light bill, but we got to do it. Mm. I mean, it, it mm. seems better to give my money to missionaries overseas, but here's the, here's the thing. We have this building. And if we feel like God has given us this building and we're going to meet here, then every month we have a budget amount that we've got to raise to pay the staff that we've brought on, to pay the utilities that we have here, to pay the expenses of this building. And while that may not sound spiritual, it's necessary. And that tithe, that constant giving of that 10%, and sometimes even giving above that because of a, an act of worship, you want to give more. Or at times we say, you know, our budget is at a shortfall and you give extra, that's an offering. And that's necessary for the church to, to function. Pretty much covered it all. <laughs> <laughs> well done. No, uh, you know, in, in, in the Old Testament, referring back to N Numbers 18, where God is actually talking to Aaron talking to Aaron about just all the rules and laws of tithing I just I, I just think it's awesome how God <laughs> says you know I'm gonna you know Aaron you're not gonna get any of the land I mean think about like they just got to the promised land they're seeing all you know the land flowing with milk and honey and they're they're seeing wow this place is awesome we get our own place and and uh and and God tells Aaron's like you don't you don't get any of the land and and you know what that would do but but then God said you know your inheritance is me you get to know me. You get to encounter me uh, differently than all the other people. And so that was his reward. I, I also love how um, the Bible says that the, the Levites were to tithe as well. As Pastor Tom's already said, they, it wasn't that they just 
took, but they actually had to, they were under that same law to say, okay, well, God's given me this, now I have to give back. Because the reality of it is, is that it's all his, and if we can understand that, we, we can become more grateful, we'll become more blessed in him, uh, because we're obeying what he's, what he's set up. Um, uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? You know, I guess the other, as a, as a, as a teenager, I, I had a really hard time tithing. I mean, my first job and second job, my, my parents forced me to tithe. And I just, you know, I, I used the common excuse, well, Dad, that's, you know, that's real sweet. You know, I, uh, you forced me to tithe. I mean, how, how is that actually going to produce in a heart in me to tithe or, or to give towards missions? You know, and I, and I gave him that excuse or whatever. And, and he, he stopped. He said, okay, then I'll let you do it. And, of course, it just tanked because I wanted all this money for myself because I want my things and I want, you know, but practically speaking, uh, it, even, even Pastor Tom and I, as we're here, we tithe on money that we're given. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's from here, if it's side jobs, um, even our, our uh, missions giving, we, we give on all of that. Um, and so don't feel that, you know, uh, you're separate and we're separate. No, we're all in this together. And that's what I love, how it refers to that in numbers. The Levites give and the people give. And so it's, it's just important to just know where we're all at. Good. Our next question, why do you feel Sunday school for adults is important? Because the Bible says so. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think that we never stop learning and growing. And as adults, we still don't know everything there is to know. Um, Sunday school gives us an opportunity to interact with the Word differently than Sunday morning. You sitting there and us talking to you uh, is good for your growth, but there's more growth, I believe, that can take place as we interact in a smaller setting. As we question, you know, there's not a lot of time for you to raise your hand in the middle of this and say, hey, I have a question about that. Uh, but in Sunday school, you get that setting. And you get to hear from people that think differently than you. I know that we all like to think that our way is right, um, but we need to hear from one another. We need to hear, you know, there's more than one way to look at some of these circumstances, and you're hearing some of that even um, today, and so Sunday School provides that opportunity. Wednesday night, we break up into small groups that are age-based, um, because it seems like as age, uh, we have different needs or different thoughts or different likes or dislikes, and so there's benefit in that, but Sunday School is the time when we don't separate into ages. And I think to just be around those that are similar to us and have similar likes and similar dislikes and similar thought patterns is dangerous. And so I like being in a group where, you know, I'm going to hear from someone either that's 20 years older than me or 30 years older than me. I'd love to say 100 years older than me, but I don't know. that. years ago. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but uh, and I like to hear from people that are younger than me so that I don't just look at things from my viewpoint, but I get to interact with other people and basically get a better view of who God is uh, because of that. You know, in, in an entire week, how much time do we actually sit down and study the Word of God like we do in that Sunday school hour? Um, you know, the Bible tells us to study His Word, to, to show ourselves approved, you know. And, and I know for me, as I was even presented this question, I'm just like, how, how much time do I, you know, separate from church, from work? How much am I at home with a Bible, pencil, notepad, whatever, the whole nine yards, studying the Word of God like we do in Sunday school? So I guess where I'm going with that is it's just, it's so practical, it's, it, it provides an opportunity that we can actually do that just 
a set time we can come together. And it builds, um, I was talking to my wife about that yesterday, it, it builds a form of unity. You know, uh, where, where age is, it's not separated, where, where you know, um, people can actually see us. It, you know, it, it's hard to know what, what you're doing and you're doing, and, and you guys have no clue unless, you know, you come to connect. But you don't because, you know, we're not connected on all levels like that. But when you come to Sunday school, why it's, why it's helpful is that you do hear frustrations. You do hear like, man, you know, I, you know, I, I constantly feel like I'm letting God down, or, I've, or I've, you know, this week I, I got to pray for my, my friend, and they accepted Christ. You know, you're actually dealing with tangible, practical, uh, real-life scenarios of being a Christian. And so it's just, it brings such unity, I think, and, and practical teaching of the Word. So. Okay. What is a way, what is a way we as a body can encourage you? You know, uh, I was also talking to Heather about this, just kind of, you know, how, how because, it, you know, as much as it's, as much as I'm the one who's in this position, I cannot be here, I cannot function, I cannot think straight if my wife is not supporting me. And so she is, she is my, uh, my right arm. I mean, we walk together, we make decisions together. Um, everything revolves around us uh, first and then ministry. And so... That, you know, as a way, the bo- you guys as a body can encourage us. You know, um, just this past week, someone asked me, hey, can, can, we, you, can you come out to lunch with me? Um, I want to talk to you about um, some advice on how to reach people uh, in Huron. And, you know, as a pastor, when you see the church movement joining together and trying to reach lost people, uh, there is, for me specifically, there is no greater uh, excitement than that to see brothers and sisters just say, let's, let's figure this out. Let's figure out how can we go out. It doesn't even have to be corporately, but how to live it out realistically, practically. And so it encourages me, you know, when, we, when um, you know, if you guys have testimonies, share them. Like, I love them. I just heard one this morning. I love hearing about what God is doing outside of the church walls, because that's what it's about. It's about the in a billion years from now, if you love the Lord, we're going to be together. But in a billion years from now, the people out there might not. And so we have to, as a church movement, get focused on lost people. And, and not just get them saved and in the church, but to disciple them, like the Bible says, make disciples of all people. And, you know, another thing I think of, too, is, you know, uh, as pastors, we spend so much time uh, just, I mean... We, during our staff meetings, we're praying for you, some of you guys individually, specific needs, and, and we, we believe in the power of prayer. And so sometimes we have, uh, once a month we have prayer and fasting. It's a time where our church can actually gather together and seek God in unison about something or about uh, just, just in general, come, come together in a spirit of unity, which is where Jesus said, you know, if you come together in unity in, in, in my name, that's what he said, when you come together in my name, there I am in the midst. And specifically, that prayer and fasting is that day, that time where we can really just say, I'm all in. You know, I'm not, my feelings aren't, because <laughs> it's, it's, you know, Tuesday morning, and I got to go to work, and I'm, I'm dizzy, and, you know, I'm not saying, you know, you know if, you're, if you need to eat, eat, but I'm saying, when, when those days come, just be, be, be willing to step into some of those days and say, you know, maybe not every, not, not every month, but occasionally, you know, you can, you, you can 
do those fasts with us. You know, seeing more people, uh, so, some of you guys do, but to see a church movement get behind, there's no greater thing that we're going to do than praying together. There's nothing we can do because God does the work when we're praying. And so, you know, when, when we do fasting, when we do prayer, I just want to encourage you guys, you know, on Tuesday nights when there's, when there's prayer, come hang out with us. It's an hour long. We, we pray about practical needs. We pray about missions. We say, God, we, you know, we need help in this area. Can you help us? So if you guys would come to those, that would be, I mean, just that in and of itself would be, we would be on cloud nine. So, because we love you guys. We do. You know, and we, we've been here for 17 years, and um, I'll echo what, what Pastor John said. Um, when you honor my spouse or my, my children uh, in any way, uh, that does more for me than when you honor me. Um, and so I enjoy, because, you know, they make a lot of sacrifices that sometimes you don't even see. And so, you know, knowing that, um, that's a benefit. Uh, you guys have always done uh, great things and taking care of us. Uh, you know, we, we could walk through our house and look at our bathroom that you helped remodel and look at my kitchen floor and my um, garage and look at, and not even as a church as a whole, but so many of you have put in individual time uh, to help us do things at our house because um, remodeling or fixing anything is not my strength. Um, and so uh, there are so many little things that get done like that. And um, I'll say, though, beyond those, um, the little things that are out of, I use the term out of place, um, meaning it's not my birthday, it's not Pastor Appreciation Month, it's not, uh, it's just you thought of me and you not bought something, but you even just took the time to send a text message about um, just an encouragement to me or an encouragement of something that happened in your life. You know, I just, I just shared my faith with someone for the first time. Um, brings more encouragement than um, a card with a check in it. You, you understand? I mean, watching you live this out and, you know, kind of to echo the prayer service, when we pray corporately together and I hear you praying the things that God is stirring in your heart, uh, that gives great encouragement to me, knowing that God is working in your life in that way and getting to hear that. And so um, it's not like a, a guilt thing. It's a, you know, that, you know, Paul says, you know, I have no greater joy than hearing that my children are serving the Lord. Yeah. And so hearing those reports and those testimonies uh, are important. Or even, you know, just this morning, someone to come and say, hey, I, I felt all week that I, I need to pray for you and I, I just want to pray for you. That's encouragement. And the thought in my head right before that, it was kind of a, a kind of a crazy morning. I just, I basically felt like I was running from one thing to the next. And uh, in worship, I'm like, God, I would just like to relax and rest in you for like 30 seconds, please. And uh, as soon as I had thought that thought, someone comes alongside and says, I feel like I need to pray for you. You never know when those little things are going to matter. So don't dismiss those. And not just for us, but for, for each other as well. And so for me, um, a love language is acts of service more than anything else. That's what my love language is, like it or not. And so if you're a greeter and you show up on time and do your job like bam, you have just made my day. And so honestly, that's the thing. When you do children's church and even you, you just go all in with it with all your heart and then you come after and say, man, listen to what happened in children's church today. Boom, that's a boost for me because I enjoy watching you uh, grow and flourish in your gifts, and it's taking care of a need that we have at a church body that, that uh, I kind of feel and carry too. 
So we know it's 11.50. We're going to try to step it up a little bit, but we've got just a couple more questions. Can you lose your salvation? This is a question that's been asked for centuries. Can you lose your salvation? Well, what we know about salvation is, uh, in Romans, you know, how, how can we become saved? Well, we're saved by confessing that Jesus is Lord. We believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, and that he's, he's alive, and he's with the Father. But the, the thing is, i got about 30 seconds, because we have to get wrapped up here, is uh, the bottom line, uh, when, you're, when you're trying to, when, you're, when you have a relationship with Christ, fruit flows out of you. And some, sometimes when we just come to know Christ, it's, there's less fruit. You know, we're, we're still working at it, you know, but God's going to continue to do that good work. Well, the way I see it is, for me, I, you know, I, I follow God, I obey the word, I do what it says, but the real issue for me is, is that am I, doing, am I doing what he's saying to me? Am, am I obeying the word? You know, can I lose it along the way? I, I, I have a hard time saying no or yes because, because Jesus just wants us to love him, to obey him. It's just like, uh, just think about a, a marriage relationship. Uh, again, I can't get into a deep theological debate because we don't have much time, but think about a marriage. Uh, you, you, you say, you know what, Jesus, I want to know you, I want to encounter you, I want to love you, and it's real. And you, you, know, you go up with your spouse to the altar and you say, you know, do you, Heather, take uh, John to be your husband? Yes. Do you, uh, John, take Heather to be your Yes. Do you promise? Do you promise before God? It doesn't matter, you know, what, what happens in life through good or through bad. Do you promise? Yes. Before the Lord, I, I make a covenant and I put my ring on my ring finger and I say, yes, I'm all in. Now, I can. I mean, at the end of the day, I could, I could just leave you know, I can, I can choose to say, you know what, I'm just done with that. I'm just, I'm, I'm done with marriage. I'm done with all of the, the turmoil, and that would be wrong. But, you know, I see it so, God is so practical in a, as a relationship in our lives. I mean, when, when we're constantly rebelling against God, constantly saying, you know what, it was awesome at first, but as time went on, you started asking me to give up this issue, or you started to telling me that I actually have to evangelize, but I don't want to do that, or you've asked me to do, and so it's like we want, we, we say, yeah, I want to get married to you, I, I want to go, you know, hang out with you, but I don't want to, I don't want to have anything to do with your rules and your laws, and so Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. We'll know each other, we'll know brothers and sisters in the Lord by our fruits, so if we're all trees, and the Spirit of God is living inside of us, what fruit are we bearing? You know, what's flowing out of us? And, you know, whether you can lose your salvation, I, d- I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't really care because I'm redeemed. I love Jesus. I'm all in. But for those of you who might fear that, you know, you, you're not sure if you have done too many bad things or you've done, you, you haven't because you're here and God set this up because he wants you to know uh, he wants you back. He loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't, does not matter. Uh, wherever you're at, Jesus loves you. He wants you to encounter him. He wants to encounter you. And so, yeah. I think, um, you know, in order, we used to believe that, you know, if Jesus came back and you were in the movie theater, if Jesus came back and you did this thing wrong, you wouldn't go to heaven. Uh, is it that easy to lose your salvation? Absolutely not. 
Um, but to then we kind of swing the pendulum clear to the other end and say, you can never lose it. And, you know, grace just covers everything. And um, somewhere in the middle is where the truth lies. Uh, the scripture clearly teaches, Hebrews chapter 2 says, drift away. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4 says, turn away from God. You've tasted the spirit and you've turned away from God. Second um, Peter says, if you have known the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, you're worse off than before. Matthew 24, Jesus says, in the last days many will turn away from me. Well, how can you turn away from someone you've never turned toward? A lot of people will tell us those people were never really saved, but scripture seems to say they've tasted the heavenly gift. They've turned to me and then they turn away. They walk away from me. So, um, you know, these things are, are there. Now, you know, sometimes we like to use the term elect. The scripture uses the term uh, the elect. Jesus even says in Matthew 24 that the enemy in the last days would deceive even the elect if that were possible. I don't have a hard time with that. God knows who's going to be saved because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. That didn't mean he chose them. It just mean he, means he knew their choice ahead of time. Okay, so they're the elect in that sense. And so Jesus is using a hyperbole in Matthew 24 to say the temptation to fall away is going to be so great in the end times that the elect could even be deceived if that were possible. That's, an, that's a hyperbole to help us understand it's going to be something we need to take seriously. So, What does it mean that we cannot serve both God and mammon? Is this money or other idols? I can't remember the exact um, word in Greek mammon is, but it's very similar. I mean, it's written out very similar to what mammon is, so that's what we use. But a lot of Bibles nowadays say money or wealth. Um, but what, what it's talking about is, you know, if, if, we're, if, we're, if all that we do is pursue the things of this world, wealth, prosperity, all, if that's all where our heart is, um, God, there's no spot for God because God oftentimes asks us to do uncomfortable things. He, he says, you know, if you, if you want to come after me, you have to be willing to give up everything, all of your family. You've got to be willing to give up all of the, not that he's saying give up your family, he's saying you have to be willing to. You have to be willing to lay down everything, everything that might be holding you back because some of our families have a grip on us. Some of, some of the wealth that we pursue, that, that job raise we pursue has a grip on us. And it's almost a drive. It almost pushes us to reach that. And so I believe that this is talking about wealth and, and, and you know, resources and money, you know, not, not specifically just other idols because obviously we're not supposed to pursue other idols. But God is just saying, you know, really don't pursue things of this world because it's just a vapor, as King David says. It just comes and goes. So... This comes from Matthew 6, 24, where Jesus makes that statement. And I liken it to what James says. James says, if your aim is to enjoy this world, you don't get to be a friend of God. And so it's not that you can't have wealth and you can't have riches, but if your aim is to get those things, you're not going to be obedient to God. When, when push comes to shove, are you going to listen to what God says or are you going to listen to what's going to give you more comfort and ease in this life? And if you're pursuing that, you're going to do what's more comfortable. And uh, that's, in essence, what Jesus is saying. Uh, our next question asks, what does the 144,000 refer to? Uh, this comes from Revelation chapter 7, uh, Revelation chapter 14. 
those are the, the two places where this number of people, in Revelation chapter 7, uh, referring to a number of Jews during the time of tribulation on earth that are going to be saved or protected or sealed by God. They're going to turn to Jesus as Messiah. Revelation chapter 14 um, talks about them just being devoted followers of Christ that are going to come out of that tribulation. And so there's two different groups, two different numbers. Um, I don't believe it's a literal 144,000. I think that can be a symbolic number, uh, a number of completion, number 12, uh, 12 times 12, 144,000. And so uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be 144,000 people, but both of those groups are on the earth during the time of tribulation and are sealed or protected by God, somehow claim Jesus as Messiah uh, during that time. And so without going into more detail, that's what it refers to. Anything to add to that, well, brother? I was going to say, do you want to keep going? Yeah, well, these last two questions, I think, go really hand in hand. And so let's just kind of read them together, and then uh, I'll let you address it first. And, but the question asks, when you feel like God is distant, what do you do? Uh, and then the, the next question asks, when you are in a deep pit or throes of a struggle, how do you persevere, practically speaking, without being fake concerning your struggle or pretending it doesn't exist? And so that idea of God being distant or being in that deep struggle, let's address that. And that'll be our last uh, question of the day. So when I feel like God is distant, um, I, I get into the word even more. I, I, uh, and that's, that's not practical for people who, who don't read their Bible, but it's practical for Christians who do because the word is everything. I mean, it's, it's the foundation. If, if the word is a lie, then my life is a lie. That's how I put so much weight into what the word says is true. It's my foundation. If it's wrong, I'm completely in error. Uh, and so that's the first place I go. I spend more time in the word. Just, just and, and a practical way is just starting a Bible app. The Bible app, there's, a, there's, a, there's a plans that you can start, different things you can do. Um, that really helped me get on um, chronological Bibles and different things. I spend more time in the word. I spend more time praying. Uh, humbling myself, saying, you know, God says that he gives grace to the humble. So I say, Lord, uh, you know, I even go down on the floor and just lay face down as a way of saying, I, I don't really care what people think of me right now. I just want to get as low as I can to say, God, I need you. And that's what God responds to a lot of times when he just sees a, a, a real heartfelt, I need you. Help me through this struggle. A lot of times that's when he shows up, that's when he reveals something, whether it's a truth, whether it's someone coming through the door, one of you coming and encouraging us. Um, you know, and, and when I'm in a deep throw or a struggle specifically, um, you know, I, I do, the first person I go to is my wife. I voice that to her. I say, this is where I'm at. Like, I'm feeling this. And, and sometimes I don't even know I'm in a struggle, but I, I just, you have to ask, Lord, God, what's, what's in my heart? And so I go to her, I say, Heather, you know, this is what I'm dealing with, whether it's a temptation of sin or whether it's discouragement, whatever it is, I just, I say, Heather, this is where I'm at. Can you pray for me? And right there, just having her pray for me. I mean, and she does. Um, it, you know, is, is it weird the first time, the second time? Well, it's, again, it's weird if, you're, if we're not doing it, but when we do it, we're humbling ourselves. We're saying, God, I can't do it without you. And then, and you know, Am I, I just try to cover all my bases. I say, Lord, is this struggle because of something that I've done wrong? Is this something that, you know, are you trying to discipline me and correct me? Or, or am I seeing the struggle like Paul saw it? Wow, thank you, God, for this hardship because I know that you're producing endurance in me. You're helping me go through it. You're training me, helping me through it. You're not, you're not 
there's no sin in my life, it's because you're trying to say, you know what, you've gotten this strong, let's make you a little bit stronger. And so I try to cover my bases, you know, am I in the word, am I praying, am I honoring my wife, you know, uh, just, just practically speaking, asking God, is, Lord, is there compromise in my life? Um, because I want to make sure that it's because he thinks that I have it, what it takes to go to the next level and not you're in sin and, and if, you don't, if you don't turn back, you know, you're, 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 you've got to be careful. So those are a couple of things I do. Yeah. It's important that we remember we don't live by feeling. We live by faith. And so sometimes when I feel great, that doesn't mean things are great. I mean, I could feel good today, but be walking in complete disobedience before the Lord. So you cannot trust uh, how you feel. But when you do have that sense that God is distant, the first place uh, to start is looking inward. You know, have I done something that offended you? And going to the Lord in prayer, being in the word, being in worship. Sometimes it's just the emotion of the day. And, you know, that time of worship, it lifts and you feel like, you know what? I just, I, I know it's not something I've done. It's just how I feel today. Um, and so, you know, that's good. So, Jim Cimbala says that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Um, that's the truth. I mean, sometimes you're just tired and you take a nap, you wake up and it's gone. Uh, that's not always the case. And so going to other people, whether it's your spouse uh, to a friend and saying, hey, is there, is there something going on in my life that you've picked up on that you've seen um, that you could maybe point out to me? Because just introspection doesn't always show it because we're masters at deceiving ourselves. Um, and so getting help from others. Um, and then, you know, this idea of persevering through um, that sense of difficulty. And, you know, in the words of, of Dory, you just keep swimming. Um, that's in essence what you do. Yes. You know, when you're in the pit, you just keep swimming. You just keep doing what you know to be true, what you know is right. Um, hold fast. How many times does the Bible tell us? Hold fast to what you know is true. I read Psalm 105 as we were preparing for this. Um, verse 19 and 20, just a powerful passage of scripture. It says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of na the nation opened his prison door. I mean, there was just a time where Joseph, uh, we forget that, he spent years in prison. And what must it have felt like? How, much, how distant must God have felt when he was in prison? I mean, yeah, I had a dream once, but... How difficult would it be to just persevere and be faithful day after day after day? And Hebrews 11 tells us that. Hebrews 12 points these things out to us, that there have been so many people throughout the scripture, uh, you know, it's, it's one verse in the Bible, but it's seven years of, of nothing. Seven years of no Bible, no voice, no anything, just a promise God made seven years ago. And I have to be faithful and just wait and wait but no one who puts their trust in the Lord will ever be put to shame. Amen. That's a great verse. Now, does that help in the meantime? Not always. Um, I mean, some days you just, you, you know, I, I've, people tell me, you know, I, I'm crying today and I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it, I've, I've been there. You know, I went to Haiti on a missions trip and, uh, I didn't feel anything the whole time I was there. I mean, we were interacting with these kids, and I should say one time. There was one time we saw a kid, um, 
just a, an infant in a, just a busted up nasty crib and he had to stay in there all day because he had so many uh, deformities and I just, uh, I, I couldn't even look at that. Uh, without, in fact, I can't even talk about it. So there was one moment the whole time I was there where I felt anything. And so then I'm like, you know, Lord, don't I have no, no compassion? I mean, what's going on? Why, why don't I feel anything for these kids? No love, no exuberance, just like, and I'm an emotional guy. One way or another, I'm going to get some kind of emotion, but nothing. Uh, and then we were flying back from Haiti and I'm on the plane reading a book by Kay Warren and I'm weeping. I mean, tears are dripping, and I'm trying to hide from the person beside me, and I'm like, why am I crying now? What, you know, there's nothing emotional here. And uh, even the first week I was back, I just, I had to pull over my car at times because it would just hit me. Um, so emotions come and go. The Lord uses them. They're there. He speaks to us in different ways. Just don't trust them, okay? Um, be faithful to God. Trust what his word says, and let the emotions come and go. Does that make sense? Good. All right, let's stand together. Uh, you guys have been great. Thank you for your participation in getting us some questions and allowing us the chance to just kind of interact with them. Uh, we do have plans to do it again in the future. Not sure when that will be, but uh, let us take a, a minute just to pray for you, and then we'll send you out. And so, Father, thank you again for bringing us here today, for the opportunity that we have to be part of of your body in this community. God, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And I pray that you would help us as we commit ourselves to one another and commit ourselves to you to continue to grow into the image of your son. That everything we do as individuals and that everything that we do as a body, God would please and honor and glorify you in this community. That people would see you and be drawn to you through our lives. And so we just ask your blessing now on all those that are here. God, for your protection over these next few days as we celebrate in different ways uh, with friends and family. God, as we remember those who have made sacrifices for us to enjoy the freedoms that we have, I pray that you would help us not to take that for granted. God, that we would uh, remember them and honor them and their lives and their sacrifice over these next few days as well. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you for being here. God bless you as you go.
the earth with joy.